Australia Explained, keeping you on top of all things down under. In this episode of Australia Explained, we guide you through the COVID vaccine, how it was developed and how it will be rolled out in Australia. Hello everyone, my name is Tanya Ragusa. And I'm Vanessa Di Grazia. And welcome back to another episode of Australia Explained. We'd like to start, like always, by acknowledging that we're recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and future. This is important always, but the debate is heating up again as we lead to January 26. Just take this moment to think about what you're doing on Invasion Day if you're usually partying or hanging out with friends. Um, Of course, it's pretty natural to want to spend a long weekend having fun, but this is a day of mourning and it's a celebration of a genocide for so many people. So it's really, really worth just having a think about how you're spending it and if that really reflects your values. We're going to include some um, accounts from some Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices in the show notes that are having really discussion, good discussions about this. So definitely check those out. And now on to this week's topic. I think this episode will be one that a lot of people will be interested in and we've already gathered some thoughts from a few of our listeners and it definitely is a contentious issue. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of misinformation and a lot of weariness around the vaccine. And we put up a poll on our Instagram and it was very apparent that people have a lot of questions. And so we're going to do our very best to cover them all. Yeah, we really want this to be the kind of episode that you can share with your family and friends that also have that sense of wariness and would maybe feel a little bit safer if they were more informed on the ins and outs of how this vaccine came about, which is totally fair, seeing as it's really likely that most of the Aussie population will get the jab over the course of this year. And our philosophy here at Australia Explained is all about being educated about the decisions you make being made around you by the governments and companies that deeply affect your life. So there's heaps of links in the show notes today, more than usual, so you can feel confident that you have all the access to all the right information. So really recommending you take a look at those. Yeah, definitely. On that note, let's begin as usual with a bit of an overview as to where we are right now globally with COVID vaccines. So currently, and we gather these stats as of this morning, so they're as current as possible, Around 39 million people have been vaccinated worldwide. Numbers-wise, this is being led by the United States. So on the 18th of January, they have vaccinated over 12 million people. And it has been very public as well. You saw Joe Biden doing it on national television, etc. China isn't reporting their data too often, but it's likely that they're actually possibly beating the United States because they reported passing 10 million vaccinations last week. But percentage-wise, Israel is actually leading with 27% of their population already vaccinated, which is like so random. But So random. I guess it's working for them. And the Pfizer vaccine is by far the most popular, but we'll get into the intricacies of the different vaccines later. The Israel thing is so interesting, but also really crazy that the US is leading in global vaccinations. But still today, and I had to Google this to check, they had 174,000 new cases and 1,800 deaths just today. Um, It's like they they never even bothered to contain the virus. They're just like, vaccine, easy fix, done. Yeah, well, I guess this episode will break down whether it will work or not. Okay, so this is definitely a question I had and our listeners had as well. And I think 
probably maybe perhaps the biggest source of weariness. Vanessa, how could they safely dish out this vaccine so fast? Good question. So vaccines typically require years of research and testing before they reach the public. But in 2020, scientists embarked on this big race to produce safe and effective coronavirus vaccines in record time. So to put it into context, the development of the measles vaccine was said to be fairly fast. It was found within 10 years of discovering the pathogen of the virus. Um, The typhoid vaccine took over a century. So comparing this to the COVID vaccine, obviously, which passed clinical trials and was given to the wider population in less than a year, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, and unprecedented, which seems to be the word of the... <laughs> Don't say that I know, word. <laughs> it seems to be the word of coronavirus, but it's true. Um, we'll get into the exact ins and outs of how scientists were able to do this so quickly later, but something really interesting to note is that all the best minds in medical science and research worldwide have been working on this all year. So everyone clawed away from their research you know, whatever that was on, to focus on this single topic of developing a COVID-19 vaccine. And this quote from the New York Times says that, as a practical matter, medical scientists today have little choice but to study the coronavirus if they want to work at all. Most other laboratory research has been put on hold. So I guess it really highlights the urgency of the issue, but maybe it's worth mourning what progress we have lost in other fields, you know, research for diseases such as cancer, dementia and HIV, which are all at a standstill. Yeah, that part's a real shame. Um, They completely changed the way they conducted their research too. So scientists aren't writing out long journal articles and academic papers about COVID. They're pumping out experiments and data at a crazy speed and they don't really have time for those kind of formalities. Mm. And another thing that's been different is that research facilities have been pretty generous in terms of sharing their new discoveries. So I guess the extremity and the scope of the situation, plus the huge amounts of cash being plunged into these vaccine companies by governments, has meant that COVID vaccine research has essentially been made public. Money still drives the direction of the vaccine in a big way, though. And once again, we'll get into that later. (laughs) It's a big episode, guys. It's a long one. Lots to go through. Um, But it's interesting to see what this will mean going forward. So the speed that the COVID vaccine was found is clear proof that pooling resources produces far better public health outcomes than fragmented and secret competition. So, of course, as we said, there was so much money being pooled, but money alone doesn't cut almost 10 years off a research period. Sharing data for the greater good does. I mean, I can't say I'm feeling too positive about the profit-driven habits of the vaccine industry and big pharma suddenly flipping, but it's kind of nice to note that we got here by working together, as lame as that sounds. Yeah, and you're always going to be sceptical of the big farms, but I guess it's working in this case. But let's break down the process of how these vaccines are trialled. So they are trialled by the pharmaceutical companies that make them. And it begins with lab research to figure out how to do it. Then it moves to animal trials and then finally human trials. And when we do reach human trials, it's split into three phases. So phase one of the human trials is conducted on just a few dozen healthy adult volunteers. And this phase focuses primarily on establishing that the vaccine itself is safe and, you know, its side effects aren't too damaging because there's always going to be minor side effects of any vaccine you get. Then there's phase two. So these trials have hundreds of volunteers and they can include specific groups for who the new vaccine's intended for. For example, 
older adults, children, people with pre-existing medical conditions, that kind of thing. And these trials aim to test whether the vaccine actually causes an immune response, um, confirms that it's safe with minor side effects, you know, things like a mild headache, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then once that's all clear, phase three includes thousands of participants. And this aims to test whether a vaccine is effective in preventing people from actually getting the disease, in this case, COVID-19. So it also thoroughly assesses the vaccine for safety and side effects again. Um, So it's quite thorough. And they compare data between vaccinated people um, and those who have received a placebo, which is like a fake injection, just to, you know, as a baseline comparison. So some people might receive a saltwater injection and think it's the COVID vaccination, but it's not. Usually these would be three very distinct stages with time for review in between. So you'd have phase one, you'd write your reports, your reviews, et cetera. Then you would do phase two. So for COVID, because they needed it to be pumped out fast, some vaccines have overlapped these stages. For example, they were still analysing phase one by the time they started phase two, but they had completed it by the time they got to phase three. So it definitely increased the risk a little bit, particularly for those involved in those middle phase two trials, but it still ensured the vaccines were safe before they reached people in their thousands. Yeah, so essentially it happened at breakneck speed, but no stip. No steps were skipped at all. So, for example, the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine trial was voluntarily put on hold at one point to investigate why one participant, out of many thousands that is, had died, but it restarted once it was clear that it was not related to the vaccine. Yeah, so we can be pretty sure that it was all done thoroughly. And it's pretty natural to worry about possible long-term side effects with new vaccines, especially given the time period. It's the worry that most people we spoke to with had. And, you know, how can anyone say with confidence that there will be no long-term consequences with vaccines that have been developed so rapidly? But we have to remember that there's also the long-term side effects of the virus itself. I mean, there's probably long-term risks of using mobile phones, eating genetically modified food, mm. etc. So we have to weigh up our options. This is definitely... Uh, lesser than two evils, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation. Yeah, and I was reflecting on this and I think a lot of the weariness comes from the fact that many of us um, haven't lived through a new vaccine being developed right here, right now in our lifespan. You know, we grew up, especially being young, mid-20s, early 20s, we grew up with a schedule of immunisations that are already been, you know, tried and true, tested many, many years of successful implementation. So I guess with the COVID-19 vaccine, we don't really have that benefit of hindsight to look back and, you know, provide us with the security that it's going to be okay. But that's science. You know, science is constantly developing before our eyes and what we may perceive as illogical or unusual today may be completely normal in a few years time how did you get so smart maybe that's why you're (laughs) friends with me all right let's bring it back home how are we traveling with getting the vaccine underway in australia so the phases we just explained, those, th- those lab research, animal trials, and then the human trials, they were all done by the big pharmaceutical companies themselves. And then it falls onto individual countries to approve them for use. So in Australia, we have the Therapeutic Goods Association or the TGA to do that for us. Um, and Vanessa, you've gone through all the boring documents so that listeners don't have to. So let's run through exactly how the TGA decides whether to trust these vaccines or not. Yes, I did. And it was a labor of love. Oh, I can tell. Let me tell I you. I appreciate you. 
So basically, they request all of the available data. So every lab research note, every statistic from every participant, from every phase, where the ingredients were sourced, the list goes on. And a panel of experts from a range of different committees sift through this information to check that it's all legitimate. And then once the actual vaccines start arriving, the labs assess the quality, the quality of every batch. Once it's rolled out, there are numerous risk management review plans, um, all that kind of boring stuff, in place to monitor side effects, etc. And this is done in partnership with those pharmaceutical companies that make them. They are legally obliged to monitor the worldwide rollout also. Yeah. Something we found a little odd is that the Australian government does not actually hold any of the clinical trials itself. Only the pharmaceutical companies run these trials. Instead, the government just pours over all the information that is provided to them and tests that the batches that they receive match the chemical makeup that they're supposed to have. But yeah, we don't trial them. Which is pretty standard practice amongst all vaccines. Um, So it's not specific to COVID. It's nothing to freak out about. But it definitely just makes you wonder why we can't just trial them at home also. But yeah. That's okay. That's just a distrust. And I think the COVID-19 vaccine is being developed in, in front of the public eye. I don't think we've ever shown this much interest towards a vaccine before. So I think more people are starting to become aware of the process. And, yeah, this is a part of it. Exactly. It's just an eye-opener, really. Yeah. Anyway, we've been using the blanket term, the vaccine, to keep things simple, but there are actually a whole bunch of different vaccines flowing around at the moment, with around a dozen that are clocking that phase three trial period of thousands of participants. So in Australia, we currently have deals with three different vaccine providers. Um, If you're interested in more of the science of these vaccines, so what's in them, exactly how the trials were run and all that research, um, head to the bits and pieces section of the show notes and click through Australia's vaccine agreements. Through there, you can follow to the info sheets on each of the individual vaccines. But in this app, we'll run through the basics. So first up, we've got Novavax, which is 95% effective. And as with the other two vaccines we'll be talking about, it requires two shots over a period of time, which is the reason why Australia secured 51 million doses. So two shots for every person in the population. Yeah. So this vaccine can only be manufactured in Europe, and that's why we're not too into it. So a number of factors all deeply connected to the pandemic. So think loss of jobs. We've had this deteriorating relationship with China plus this general sense of wariness towards the vaccine we've discussed, Um, this has all pivoted public opinion in Australia towards self-sufficiency. We discussed this in our recent episode on Australia and China's rough patch, so go check that out if you're keen to hear more about that discussion. But basically, we want things made in Australia, we want to create jobs, and we want the security of a locally produced vaccine. So Novavax isn't too favourable right now. Yeah. Next up, we've got Pfizer Biotech, which is also 95% effective. In Australia, we've secured 10 million doses, so a lot less, only enough for 5 million people, essentially. There's two doses that need to be taken over a period of time, which basically just covers those risk groups who are immunocompromised or, you know, a bit more vulnerable. Pfizer is also manufactured offshore, which runs into the same problem of, you know, what happens if we want things to be developed in Australia and, you know, start producing locally. But Pfizer is the leading vaccine worldwide, which the vast majority of countries, such as the UK, the US and most of Europe, are using. And lastly, we've got our front runner, which is the University of Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. 
surprisingly 70% effective. Oh, really? Yeah, which I was originally a little concerned to see that figure because I think it's only natural that the brain jumps to, hey, this one's only 70%. Yeah. That one's 95%. How How is this the one the winner? And I've included an article in the notes that discusses um, vaccine uh, efficacy. Um, but basically, seeing as it's expected that the majority of the population will end up vaccinated, this figure apparently actually doesn't matter much. So 70% is perfectly adequate, even vaccines with 50 to 60% are adequate. So that was surprising to me, but listen to the, listen to the scientists. They know what they're talking yeah. about. Anyway, back to Australia and the AstraZeneca vaccine. It was originally likely to be ready in early 2021 um, in March, but it seems that it might be a little bit later now. So this will be made in Melbourne at a facility in Broadmeadows. Which is surprisingly close to us. Very close to us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've secured 53.8 million doses, and I'm not going to pretend to understand the intricacies of medical science, but it essentially uses a harmless virus altered to look a lot more like the pandemic virus to trick the body into thinking you've already had it, which is kind of cool. Yeah, because usually vaccines are like you inject a portion of the virus in your body and then you build up the antibodies for it. Yeah, and this is like a fake one of that. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, We were also originally holding on to hope of the University of Queensland producing a home-designed, home-produced vaccine, but it didn't pass phase one trials, and we actually posted this on our weekly recap every Friday a couple weeks ago. Um, So although the Aussie government would prefer to dish out the AstraZeneca vaccine to everybody, um, for those, you know, locally produced reasons, at this point in time, it does seem like doses of the Pfizer vaccine will be ready first, which means priority groups will probably get that one, while ordinary Australians will probably wait for AstraZeneca. So if you're one of those priority groups, which includes almost a million um, people, so there's workers in quarantine, border security, frontline healthcare, aged disability services, as well as aged care and disability residents, Put some time into researching the Pfizer vaccine. Um, there's a chance that other high-risk groups, just as, such as those with immunocompromised health, abattoir workers, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, will get this one too, but that hasn't been exactly clarified yet. And everybody else, look into AstraZeneca. Yep. So, so far, these three vaccine agreements have cost us around $3.3 billion so far. On a separate note, we are also involved with COVAX, which is the Global Vaccine Fund. We are a part of this fund with 188 other countries, all aiming to gather around 2 billion doses of a vaccine. So basically, all these countries are pooling resources together so a wide variety of countries can invest in a wide variety of vaccines. So think of it kind of like buying shares or pooling to put in on a bet. You all buy into the risk together and get a better prize at the end. So we've put $363 million into this, mostly to secure the vaccine for ourselves. But $80 million of that is also to ensure that 94 low-income countries can get access to the vaccine as well. Yeah, and you might want to think that COVAX is working hard to get developing countries vaccinated out of the goodness of their hearts. <laughs> but alas, that's not the case. It's so never the case. It's never the case. No. Um, it's estimated that global equitable access to COVID vaccines, so if everyone is vaccinated, um, that that will generate economic benefits of at least $198 Australian billion dollars in 2020 to 21. And by 2025, that'll be $579 billion. Wow. 
So basically our global economy is so tightly knit that if we really want the world, the whole world up and running, um, we need everyone to be vaccinated. There's no chance of doing it if we're not all on the same page. And yeah. As the World Health Organization describes it, nobody wins until everybody wins. Yeah, a further $23 million was committed into the 2020 budget, which we also covered um, last year, if you want to check that episode out, to buying vaccine doses for the Pacific Islands specifically. And why was this, Vanessa? So this wasn't directly economic, but a bit more political, diplomatic kind of thing. As always. (laughs) We want the Pacific region to be safe and stable, number one. They're super close to us and if those regions start to fall apart, um, that definitely has repercussions here. Historically, we're seen as being responsible for the region. We're the leaders of the Pacific. I mean, most people literally know the continent as Australia and Oceania and sometimes just Australia. Um, China's also trying to gain influence in the Pacific and we really want to balance this out. So we're in a bit of a competition with them with who can give the Pacific more aid and become better friends, which is great for the small islands that are benefiting from it. Like, Fiji's just chilling with all this Chinese paid infrastructure and Australian paid vaccines. <laughs> it's like a proxy. Exactly. Um, all right. So let's sum up because this has been pretty information heavy. So to basically recap, firstly, vaccines are trialled by individual companies and this data is sifted through and approved by the Therapeutic Goods Association in Australia. Secondly, Australia has three separate vaccine agreements with some Aussies set to get the Pfizer vaccine, but most will probably get the AstraZeneca vaccine. And lastly, we've contributed a fair bit of cash to make sure low-income countries, particularly in the Pacific Islands, can get vaccinated and ready for a post-COVID world. Thanks for that, Ms. Ragusa. No worries. Okay, let's move into another big question I'm sure is on many of the listeners' minds. Will the vaccine be mandatory? So at first, ScoMo did say it would be mandatory, and then he backtracked, saying that you can't hold someone down and take it. Good perspective, ScoMo. Um, So the federal government has clearly stated that it will be free and it will be voluntary, but there are a lot of niches in the law that have to be worked out before people start getting the jab. Yeah, I read the other day that the small businesses organisation has made calls to be able to fire workers who don't get vaccinated. And some leading experts on labour law have said it's probably likely some types of workplaces will be able to require employees to have the jab. You know, there was a case where a childcare centre sacked a worker for refusing to get the flu jab. And it was found to be in the right, protecting the interests of children in their care. Yeah, airlines such as Qantas have also made it clear that it would be absolutely necessary to fly their aircraft. And there is discussions of like vaccines passports to allow international travel. So basically they can't make it mandatory, but they can make it really hard to live without. So we might even see something similar to the no jab, no play policies for child immunizations where families can't access certain Centrelink benefits or childcare services without the proper vaccines. But we just kind of have to see how it plays out. Yeah. And of course, this is where people begin to worry about, you know, the individual freedoms and human rights, and that's all very fair. But I think it's the same question we've been facing the whole pandemic in the balance of freedom and safety. You know, we have a right to live, we have a right to health, and as long as the response to that is proportionate and leads the entire population the best chance at those rights, then it's probably the best, yeah, idea. Yeah, it's also interesting timing in terms of the anti-vax movement in general that's been building up. 
in Australia over recent years. Not that it wasn't always there, but without social media, it wasn't so obvious. Um, People didn't internalise it into their identities. And I honestly think that without this movement and without social media, this vaccine wouldn't seem like such a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, And on that note, I wanted to share something that I personally found a bit disappointing at first, and then I looked into it. So I originally came across this on Twitter from a Sky News reporter called Laura Jays. And for reasons you would all know if you've listened to our Whose News Is It Anyway episode where we discuss media ownership in Australia, I was a bit sus of this tweet having come right out of the heart of Rupert Murdoch's media, Rupert Murdoch's media empire. <laughs> um, so I'll read it out. It said, important clarification on the COVID vaccines. Vaccinated individuals will not be protected from becoming infected, masks, work from home, social distancing, contact tracing and hand sanitising the new normal. And I followed this media release back to the Australian Academy of Science, which is a well-respected, totally legitimate non-for-profit. And it's actually true. So these vaccinations and Australia's vaccination strategy in general is about reducing the severity of the virus. So less hospitalizations, less deaths, etc. None of the vaccines we're discussing have actually proven themselves to protect them from transmitting COVID. Right. But it's definitely not all bad news. The Sky News reporter's tweet was definitely a bit scary, but the report also clarifies, although we'll be social distancing and all that for a while, it's not forever. And if these vaccines stop from getting even mild and moderate symptoms, then itself will that itself will stop the spread. So as more people get vaccinated, even if they do get COVID, they are far more likely to be asymptomatic and not spread it. And this will eventually build up into like a herd immunity. Yeah. So in summary, the vaccine won't be an absolute quick fix. It's not as if will be vaccinated and every Aussie will be able to just jump right back into having crammed festivals of 50,000 people. That's like a dream. <laughs> like I can't even fathom that no, anymore. But it is the beginning of the end and something we can still definitely all be excited about. But yeah, we should always just be aware of how it works. And moving on to my next question. So why are we still waiting? So as we said at the beginning, countries like Israel and the United Arab Emirates and stuff like that have vaccinated a quarter of their population. What's happening here? So as we got into earlier, most of the developed world already has the vaccine and the Australian federal government has made it clear that we will not be ready until at least March of this year. They've defended this decision saying they're trying to get it right and they're trying to be really precise. And that's just not letting, that is you know, not only letting the TGA do its due process, but it's also properly training nurses to, you know, administer the vaccine and organising the logistics of its rollout and things like that. So whereas countries like the United States and the UK are rushing in the process um, in the face of, you know, hundreds, in some cases, thousands of deaths a day, Australia can afford to take it a little bit more easy and really make sure it's safe given our response to the, to the virus. Yeah, I think it's totally fair and we don't really need to rush it when you think about it. I also think it might help people feel a little bit more relaxed about taking it. If it's got the PR of we've really, really checked through it, we've taken our time, we haven't just, you know, pushed it into you. Yeah, and that was a main concern that came up in our Insta polls. A lot of people said maybe if there was a little bit more research or maybe if there was a little bit more time. So I think that's what Australia is trying to achieve as well. Yeah, for sure. But I'm interested to see what people think. Like, should we be speeding it up so we can reopen properly and travel and all these things? Or is it worth the wait? We stay in a little sanctuary of Australia and just chill. Mm. 
And now it's time for our recommendations. Tanya, what have you got for me today? Surprise. I have another article from <laughs> The Conversation. Um, if you can't tell. Sponsor us the conversation. Please sponsor us the conversation. Um, but this is a lot more general than usual. So this piece will help you read research papers and how to interpret vaccine information a bit more critically. Um, so it's super important for those who want to inform themselves by going directly to the vaccine research. Um, but you may find it difficult to navigate academic journals. I think this is a really good base as to where you should start, what each of the different parts in the academic papers mean and and how to you know work your way through it so you understand what's actually being said and that matches well with my recommendation which might seem like the laziest recommendation I've ever given but (laughs) I really want the listeners to go through the links already in the show notes information is power and especially around this topic with so much misinformation looking through some credited sources will be really useful also, you just might seem really cool to your friends and family if you know all this stuff about the vaccine and they don't. So staying informed is cool. It's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it from us today. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It's definitely a contentious issue, so we're glad to have brought it to you. And as always, let us know what you think. We're interested to hear your thoughts, particularly because this is an issue that affects all of us. Yeah, and please share this episode around with anyone that's also feeling a bit wary about this whole vaccine process. Um, We really made it because we want to help people understand and feel comfortable with it when the time comes. So, yeah, definitely share it with whoever you think might enjoy it. And in the meantime, follow us for more short, sweet and simple Aussie content on Instagram at Australia Explain Pod. All the info's in the show notes for you to check out. See you next week. Bye. Bye.